Christianity is no standardized performance for Christianity. It's not a race. Where are you going? Why are you running? Did I not choose? Did I not say that me I'm choosing? Hey guys, I know it's been a minute, um, but really, like, I'm really not trying to be a YouTuber here or anything, but like, it's kind of really been a minute. But with reason, hear me out. See, after my last conversation I had with my friends and some of the last segments that I had, where I spoke about basically how I was always setting up a bar of expectation for myself to perform and to be perfect towards God, I started to ask myself, what's next after you get to a point where you actually relent and relent trying to save yourself from your own sin so to speak when you stop drop and roll and let go of that mentality of trying to fix yourself be all clean neat cut gloomed well gloomed before god to try and appease god as if god is someone to appease and please instead of understanding that he is love and love except without condition we'll get there and accept that basically you're flawed and you're human and i searched and i found by the grace of god and the internet my new fave my new friends here um and they called your favorite heretics at your favorite heretics um on instagram and they helped me articulate discuss and pack with some of the things that they really put out there on their um social media account um addressing some things that with terminology that i really wasn't I, I couldn't even phrase, I didn't know of this terminology, but I could relate to what this terminology was speaking about, the experiences, what this terminology all unpacked. So they really helped me um, unpack not only why and where the mentality of God, of sorry, of appeasing God may have rooted from in my walk, but also what happens um, when you're stuck in that mentality and, and how it can unravel. And most importantly, how it affects your relationship with God and how setting up a bar of expectation for yourself to live accordingly or to live righteously or to live in a well-groomed way can lead to a toxic pattern of perpetually disappointing yourself where you can start becoming self-condemning and resent yourself, which in turn affects your mental health. So most importantly also in this segment, there's two parts to it. The second part we're going to talk about mental health you know and how personally for me it has been pressed on me for a while that i feel mental health needs to be accepted in the church um with expertise with profession you know people members of the church leaders cell leaders i feel need to understand that you know they can work coherently they can work together praying and mental health and therapy can something that works together because sometimes people have issues that are deeply seated or deeply rooted um in their past um i don't want to use the word issues also because i feel some language can sometimes some language that we also address um in this podcast about in the church has left people broken scared feeling condemned afraid so on and so forth um 
so this is kind of the stuff that we address in this podcast and i hope you guys enjoy it it is really it was a fruitful conversation for me it was lovely meeting rachel and derek they're a lovely couple and they're doing god's work personally for me where they're going and unpacking certain things that happen in the church that we go unspoken and unheard um and i pray that this blesses you guys and encourages you guys in many ways so here we go Hello. Hello. Hey. Hey. Oh, but it's so nice to hear you. And it's and so nice to, to hear talk you. And... <laughs> it's so nice to hear from you guys too. Nice to meet you. My name's Koki. Like that's how you say it. Koki. Okay, that's how I've been saying it, but I wanted to make sure and ask you if that's the correct way. Um yeah. so I'm Rachel and then Derek's also here as well. Hey there. Hi, Nick. Hey, how are you? Good. How are you doing? I'm well. I'm well. Thank you. Thank you so much, guys, for this. Like, I appreciate it with like a passion that burns suns and bridges. Like, you have no of idea. Of course. I guess I'm just going to basically start making an awful conversation. Like, hey, if you guys can introduce yourselves, that would be like really awesome. Like, what are you guys with? What's your background? Who are you guys? Why are you guys so relatable? Why does it all just make sense? <laughs> How did you guys able to just articulate some of the things that we struggle with as young Christians so well? What is this background of deconstructionism like? Where does it come from? Those are all very, very good questions. Um, I guess to start, so um, as I said, I'm, my name is Rachel. Um, mm-hmm. I actually, so a little bit of my background, I wasn't, didn't convert to Christianity until I was 20. Um, so oh. I was an atheist my whole life. Um, I'm now oh. almost in my 30s. So um, it was a really wild ride of, you know, going through a lot of things quickly. Like I never grew up in purity culture. I never grew up mm-hmm. in um, church. I was never told that I was, you know, inherently sinful. So um, or like, you know, at, at churches often teach young children. Um, yeah. So I didn't receive that message growing up. I, I grew up really like more or less like believing in myself and in a way that, you know, is just different than what you receive from the church. You know, I didn't feel like I needed a deity to have worth, um, stuff like that. So when I got saved, it kind of changed a lot for me. So I was, you know, raised an atheist. I did not get saved until I was 20 years old. So, and I had, um, been in therapy a lot when I was younger, um, just for Mm. certain things going on in my life. Um, and so becoming a Christian at 20 and never really having heard the gospel message before, um, you know, I live in America, so it's kind of hard to separate Christianity and culture. So it's just kind Mm. of ingrained into everything here in a way. Um, so for me, it was never, like it was all um, culture. And so when it became reality and became something that I now believed in, um, I had a sense of what it was, but, you know, going to church now and having mentors and only having friends that were Christian um, Mm. changed me really quickly. And I became my experience. I know this isn't everybody's experience. I became more insecure 
Um, just because mm-hmm. I went from being, you know, not told that I was sinful in nature to being told as an adult that my whole life up until that point was, you know, more sinful. or less wicked and sinful. Yeah. And, you know, I just was filtering my past through a completely different lens. And it just made me, you know, You're I pretty judgmental about yourself at that point. Right. And so yeah. um, it was very hard to cope with these things. And so I became a uh, I, I loved Jesus and I still do. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I was very, you know, I went to a Bible college. I had a mentor, all these things. And so about how did you, did you go into theology once you got saved or was it afterwards? Um, so I actually moved out to California, which is where I met Derek because yeah. we're originally from uh, Georgia, uh, okay. Atlanta, Georgia, yeah. or I am. So um, I moved out there to take care of my grandparents. Yeah. Um, and they had a Bible college about two hours away. Oh. Um, from that was started by a um man named Francis Chan. Mm. A lot of people know who he is. Mm. Um uh so I started taking classes there and just for to fill my time because you know I was a new Christian, I wanted to start understanding okay. scripture more, but it's it's a very reformed college. Um, so it's, you learn scripture through a very specific lens. And for me being so young in my faith, I didn't realize that that was, um, one of many truths that people believe about the Bible. And so it just became a very like, oh, this is what the word says. It's very clear. This is it. This is the answer, um, to then kind of like, I just, had uh, a lot of trauma happen through a mentor figure in my life um, that mm-hmm. kind of got very into eschatology, very into mm-hmm. end times and really scarred me. Um, and mm-hmm. I couldn't separate the judgment of God and his love. And so that kind of made me walk away for a little bit. Not, I, I never denounced my faith, yeah. um, but it, I but had it, to take a break. You had fear, like it made you just yeah. fearful of, I, I get it. I completely get it. Yeah. yeah. Like you become more afraid of yeah. the God of love than you do relate to his love. And I feel like that's a lot of where people find themselves is relating to the God of judgment and not yes. relating to the God of love. Um, because mm-hmm. like he is just, and you always, you always hear that. Like you can't just say God is love. That's too, that's too free of a message. You know, you always have to say he is love but he is just in his love you know he is justice in his love mm. and you like so many people see him as the god of justice and then filter yeah. his love through that mm. but like he only ever calls himself love and justice is a characteristic of love and when i love you know it, it justice looks completely different than using a measuring stick to see how you're doing yeah. you know up against you know that's not justice justice yeah. is defeating death justice is you know giving us opportunity to partake in this life with him you know justice is giving us the gift of life and receiving his love you know that is just and so when people start you know and this is very normal in the christian experience when people start relating more to his justice it reduces god down to rules yeah and a sin watcher yeah Yeah. And so I think I really benefited in processing this as an adult because I wasn't indoctrinated from an early age to just accept this as truth. So it was 
it, it was almost like I was able to come into the faith and immediately start questioning. Um, and so for me, um, like, yes, while I, um, had my very early young Christian days of about two years for about two years after I was saved of just kind of like taking everything as gospel truth that I received because I, you know, I was wicked up until you had, yeah. Yeah, I so I, I, reading, it feels like something because I, I really get it. Like for me as well, for the longest time, um, my Christianity was dependent on another person. It was dependent on mentors, yeah. it was dependent on pastors, it was dependent on um, just figures in my life that basically felt like they had a deeper connection than because I'm still a baby Christian. So mm-hmm. I don't know much. I, I don't know much. So it's rather that I lean on their understanding of the Bible and how they view God. And that's, that's when that trouble begins, I guess, the trauma begins. Right. Yeah. And, and for me, it didn't feel like trauma at the time. For me, it mm. felt right. Because that's it true. was, you know, well, I, I was sinful. I should feel that refining fire. I should feel like that uncomfortableness of refining myself. And, mm. you know, it wasn't, and it, it was shame. It was just shame. And mm. it, but the church told me that it was me, you know, reconciling with my past and walking forward. And that's not what it was, you know? And so I think a lot of Christianity, like we love the jargon. We love yeah. the Bible yeah. stickers. We love like the quick answers, yeah. but they have a hard time recognizing what is trauma and what is shame and what is truly the gentle, loving kindness of Jesus and, and how God pulls you in by his love. And so, you know, for people who have been in the church their whole life, all they know is that refinement and making sure that they're walking that straight and narrow line, you know, when there's so much gray within the gospel, within God's love within, you know, Christianity. Um, Yeah. Right. And so, and it's not like find what works for you, but like genuinely it is because there is, it is the, the Bible, um, is exalted in Christianity and in worship with God. And it almost is a stumbling block to get to him. And I say that not because I don't love scripture, not because I don't, you know, see the validity in scripture, obviously, you know, (laughs) I, I think the Bible is very important, you know, but at the same time, there are a lot of fundamental Christians and a lot of people who take the word so incredibly literally. I was going to ask you that. Do you think like the (laughs) fundamental, unshakable truths in the Bible that like we need to abide in as Christians per se? Um, that's a very, you know, Derek, he's putting the baby to sleep, but that is a question that he, I think would love to answer. Um, because for me, we, we've landed very differently, Derek and I, um, and we went through our deconstruction together. So he never fell away. I I hate saying fell away that I hate, I hate that jargon, but I hate backsliding. I hate it. I I get it. So when we both started questioning for me, it looked more departing from a traditional walk with what you would conceptualize, you know, a walk with God. Um, So for me, it was more taking a break from the culture, from reading scripture, from, you know, a personal relationship with Jesus, even though I, I was confident in my salvation, 
which again, I don't like that term either because mm-hmm. I do believe that once the term saved is just becoming aware of God's love for you. That's, that's what I believe salvation yeah. is, is having an understanding and a, and for the first time in your life, conceptualizing um, our, like our father's love. Yeah. So I don't like the term saved because it brings a lot of, you know, it can bring a lot of trauma, you know, like from death to life, from like evil to good. Like it just, it's such a loaded word and we don't think about that. One's dirty, one's lot. I get it. Yeah. You you can judge yourself quickly because of this binary. Yeah. Yes. And so, yeah, it is binary. It's death to life. So everything that you do in your deadness is vain, is wicked is not advancing the the kingdom and so for me I really have not used the term saved in a while because it's it is very loaded because I believe that every act of love is an act of God and so I do believe that non-believers you know whether you're agnostic atheist whether you're you know whatever it may be of a different religion like if God is love then every act of love is God you know, and so that's kind of where I've landed um, because salvation is a reckoning of God's love for you. Yeah. If we view it that way, then it takes away that shame yeah. of, you know, not being saved for this amount of time or, you know, having to catch up for your whole life, not, you know, abiding in God's will. It, it just takes that pressure off and you're like, no, I just understand God's love for me now. What's always been there? What's always been consistent? Like I've just reckoned with that in my soul. So you know, like this constructionism is like coming to kind of like a freeing understanding of God's love. Do you think it's a vessel or tool for understanding that type of love um, that you can understand from God or receive from God? Yeah. Rather? So for me, deconstruction looks a lot like freedom. So Ooh. I think um, there's a term in the deconstruction community um, or, or one of the deconstruction communities. It's called water to wine. And so it's taking that water. Sorry, that's the baby. He's okay. <laughs> my first um, podcast. I literally have my niece in the background. Oh, <laughs> um, yeah, they they have a mind of their own. So, you know, no, no. Gotta love them. let them be. Got to let them be. Just let yeah. them be. <laughs> um, so it's like taking that step into that faith and that that depth with God with exploring questions that you've had but that you may have repressed you know so um I'm, I'm gonna switch here with Derek in a moment so he can start answering questions okay um but you know I think deconstruction it, it can look many different ways for many different people for me deconstruction yeah. ended in reconstruction so mm-hmm. it was a means to push myself more towards the true loving kindness of God yeah. and step away from the faith. But, you know, a lot of people find themselves um, with a lot of trauma and a lot of pain from what their experience was in the church, that mm-hmm. it was a natural depart from Christianity. And I think we can't put a, a label on what we expect out of deconstruction because deconstruction deconstruction is a process and deconstruction is finding that end goal. And so it's kind of like, for me, deconstruction is freedom because for the first time, maybe in your entire Christian walk, you're 
like wrestling through these questions that you felt you may have wrestled through previously, yeah. Yeah. Um, but you weren't honest and you covered them up with very easy answers, yeah. you know, theology that kind of doesn't make sense if we're yeah. honest. Yeah. And like it started. Questions. Yeah. Go ahead. Just washes everything off. If I can say so, just, yeah, that's yeah. how sometimes I feel like sometimes people, how I would say Bible bash, um, when I'm going mm-hmm. through something and people will Bible bash or verse bash me with something and I'm like, okay, great. Yeah. Uh, that didn't really right. answer my question, but, you know. <laughs> <laughs> so, how are you doing? How is it going so far? Are you liking it? It's only gonna get better, guys. Um, the conversation only gets more in-depth. It impacts a lot more. It's going to be two segments, but anyway, I'm just giving you a breather and just sliding in some Christian music. I love sniffing out Christian artists and live and write. Um, I mean, I love Bethel, but I mean, there's some good artists out there. So, shout out to my so fish like and not sure how else to do but I know that the song is cool and it's amazing. Take a listen. I will fight cause this is a war I load it, start busting Cause I am in love with thee When I'm feeling down, you're the best company And even when I'm going back, you are in front of me Always straight loving me Even though I might be losing, you're in love with me Somehow you're never done with me Even when I'm done with me Somehow you keep loving me In my world asking Rachel about like yeah. um, kind of where, where did like I've never heard of this term um, being in South Africa I'm not gonna be the face of Africa as a whole I'm not yeah. gonna be that guy or else people are gonna just come at me on Twitter 
or wherever, <laughs> wherever this goes. So I'm just going to be about South Africa and be like, I've never heard of the term deconstructionism in my entire life. And yeah, where does it come yeah. from? What's the root of it all? Um, so, oh, man, there's a guy who, who coined the term um, some time ago. He was, a, I, I want to say, a French philosopher. Yeah. Um, I forget his name. And I, I don't know why I'm drawing a blank, but um, his, he was like an artist philosopher who talked about this term deconstruction and this, this idea of, um, it, it was more of a general term. And, mm. and I think that what, what's happened is now people in the Christian world, as they have been reevaluating this place we find ourselves in, you know, mainstream Protestant, non-denominational evangelicalism, yeah. whatever, and are recognizing the more as time has gone on, the more, um, especially within America, with the whole blending of nationalism and yeah. Christianity and different things that have really caused people to reevaluate whether it's, you know, there's usually a few different, you know, uh, impetus Impeti? I don't even know the plural of impetus, but um, <laughs> there, there's usually a few different um, initiators of deconstruction. Yeah. For some, it's a, it's an unfortunate traumatic event or some form of deep pain or hurt. Um, um, for others, it's um, like a trigger, a particular... like a stimulus. You mean like for it? Yes. Yeah. Yes. Exactly. Yeah. Um, for others, it's it's a particular um, maybe pet doctrine, whether it's surrounding, uh, the doctrine of hell or, you know, what happened at the cross, like mm -hmm. some of these fundamental questions that mm -hmm. we haven't always agreed upon, but for some reason have only dogmatically stood by, you know, one particular interpretation. Mm -hmm. Um, it's caused people to feel like they're boxed in theologically Mm -hmm. And what happens is when you box, you're boxed in theologically, one, people begin to, um, you know, feel like they're in control. And two, when they start to question, they feel like they're being rebellious or mm -hmm. they're being told they're rebellious and they're being told that they've fallen away and they're, or they're backsliding. Danger, yeah. backsliding exactly. Or you're an apostate or, you know, uh, in yeah. our case, heretics. <laughs> so... Anyway, um, really deconstruction is a broad term. And the way I, that I coin it, it, it's getting rid of toxic beliefs and um, in the hopes, uh, you know, at least in my case and the cases of many people that um, I've known, to reconstruct with a healthier uh, view of God and a healthier view of yourself. Do you um, think deconstruction may have, I'm sorry, um, do you think deconstruction may have come from like, because sometimes people, like I, I remember reading through your slides and you guys mentioned how sometimes people's theology and how they mm -hmm. pass it on in different churches and how they preach. Because there's always a church culture, isn't there? Like whatever church Absolutely. you find yourself in, there's yeah. always different types of church cultures from different mm -hmm. denominations, from different practices. Yeah. They do different things. They pray different ways. Right, and right. this theology um, may have like you said it's the thing that boxes you and that's why it could be like a trigger that you find mm. yourself in a place where like you box when you say box is something that really right. to me a lot because yeah yeah you find yourself in experiences it's, where you have to feel like you have to pray a certain way for god to hear you right 
yeah, you got to pray harder. You got to make sure you use the right, uh, you know, words and yeah. make sure that you really shout. You got to say things, <laughs> usually throw in a few, just God, would you just do this and just, you know, and make sure that you say, you know, God's name in, in different ways. Um, yeah. that, that gets you extra brownie points for answered <laughs> prayers. <laughs> no, but um, I really, you know, when you were talking, it really made me think of, of something. And, and a lot of times when it's not a traumatic experience, it's usually when one of those uh, particular theological points end up not really working well with your experience. So when there's conflict between your experience mm. and a particular set of beliefs, mm. um, what ends up happening is that you begin to question your worldview. And that doesn't have to be like this fundamental, like walking away from Christianity. And, and personally, I, that's my hope is that people see that the, the, the flavor, the brand of Christianity that they've been taught is the only form of, of having a thriving relationship with Jesus would be completely reevaluated. Um, because I do think that as we grow, Jesus should become more and more beautiful in, in our, yeah. in our sight, yeah. not more and more terrifying. And, yeah. and we feel more and more in bondage uh, because God is love. And as we grow in union with, with love, um, as scripture even talks about, like perfect love drives out fear. So if we're getting, if we're drawing closer and conforming more to the image of love, then there shouldn't be any place of fear in our lives. So what are those areas of theological beliefs that might've been set up by particular systems throughout church history meant to control and use fear as motivation that was never intended by God's design. Yeah. So it's kind of coming back to the, like, let's go back to the drawing board. Let's figure out what's fundamental. And I think that's what's important about knowing church history too, because as we survey church history, we realize that there was a lot more room for mystery and diversity and uh, disagreement within the conversation of orthodoxy. And so as I've begun to kind of just study early patristics, um, which is the term for the church fathers within the first 500 years or so of church history, yeah. you begin to see that as orthodoxy was begun to solidify, there was an intentional generality to it. There was some, there was definitely some non-negotiables, right? The majors. But I was going to ask you that. Do you think there are like fundamental truths in scripture that we just can't? Of course. From? Yeah. Personally, I do. Yeah, absolutely. I think that the nature of God, I think like at the end of the day, I, I think, uh, you know, holding to a belief of, of Jesus being the son of God, being both God and man, and mm -hmm. that he, you know, he was born of a virgin, he lived, died, mm -hmm. lived a perfect life, died and rose again. Like, mm -hmm. those are all very, like, <laughs> core to our, our, uh, belief, yeah. our worldview as Christians, yeah. right? Like Paul, like, I think the simplest statement of orthodoxy is First Corinthians 15, where Paul basically lays out the gospel which essentially is you know christ crucified yeah and, and risen and ascended and it's like the, i don't know like when we begin to focus on all these things and what x y and z looks like too much um or we think that you have to only look at it this way mm. like for example with hell or with 
um, to get really theological and nerdy, this is the difference between my wife and I. I'm I'm more nerdy theological yeah, guy. I can tell. <laughs> I can I can but, hear the terminology. Uh, I'm just like, oh my goodness. Okay, Google. <laughs> <laughs> I don't want to lose people, but there's you know this this particular area of theology is called atonement, which is what happened at the cross. Like so, there's uh, historically I think seven prominent atonement theories, and for some reason uh, within modern uh, non-denominational Protestant Christianity, uh, penal substitutionary atonement, um, which is a very, very big word or long phrase, penal substitutionary atonement is the primary. Yeah. What's that? Please feel free to elaborate because I'd like to know what that means. Sure. Yeah, sure. And, um, it was really, uh, passed on through, um, John Calvin, um, you know, Luther definitely ascribed to that. Some other church fathers and, uh, you know, basically people with like legal backgrounds took to the legal portions of scripture and decided to use that as their lens in which they understood what happened yeah. at the cross being more transactional and having to, you know, do with guilt and appeasement. Mm. Um, it's like guilt, innocence kind of thing. And so it's like this courtroom sort of view of salvation mm. where the cross is this transaction where Jesus paid the penalty yeah. uh, for sin in order that the penalty wouldn't fall on us. These rotten, filthy sinners that are, yeah. you know, deserving of the full wrath of God. Mm. <laughs> you know what I mean? And so it's like crazy stuff. But like, as you unpack that, you know, I've heard it very simply put, and it kind of exposes the logical uh, or illogical uh, aspect of this atonement theory. It's God sacrificing himself to himself to save humanity from himself. Wow. Like, when you yeah, think about wait, that, it's like, yeah, hold on. wait, God has to beat up his son so he doesn't beat us up eternally and flaming fires of torment and gnashing of teeth like it paints this very pagan deity view of who god is and what ends up happening is that um it ends up looking more like the pagan deities of the day um right around jesus's time one was uh molech who is this god that required child sacrifice and in fact jesus's reference to hell primarily was the word gehenna and gehenna Mm is a reference to the Valley of Hinnom, which is an actual physical location outside of the gates of Jerusalem that was a burning trash dump that was often a place of child sacrifice to Molech. So you have these really strange blending of ideas that ends up painting God into this retributive... This monster, right? Yeah. Yeah. This retributive deity that needs a blood sacrifice to appease his wrath and anger. Mm. Not this. And and so I've, you know, in my experiences, I've begun understanding atonement theories like Christus Victor and these, uh, you know, other ones like um, the scapegoat theory, which is that the cross really has more to do with our doing than it does with anything else that. Jesus in his mercy and his forgiveness submits to our worst darkness and in the divine plan of redemption, knowing full well, um, unfortunately, what we're capable of doing and rejecting love. He chose to even submit to that because love submits 
and love mm -hmm. always gives of itself. So a guy, Brad Jersak, brilliantly uh, talks about having a more Christ-like view of God. And he wrote a book called A More Christ-Like God. But his, his big thing that he says is that we see God revealed in the cross most clearly as self-giving, radically forgiving, co-suffering mm -hmm. love. And that the judgment of God isn't this wrath, Yay. but the judgment of God is the pronouncement of Christ on the cross that says, Father, forgive them. They don't know yes. what they're doing. Yes. And you see that this judgment that's actually been declared over humanity is one of mercy. Yeah. Mercy triumphs over judgment. And mercy is the judgment. And we see that God's heart has always been that. And so the reality is that the gospel isn't changing God's mind about humanity. It's changing our mind about, about God. God. And so it's so important no, that we are realizing these toxic doctrines and beliefs that have caused us to see this monstrous God, this angry God that needs appeasement or else he's just going to like unleash the fury. Or, yeah. yeah. And so even the early patristics, again, and I don't want to get too lost on this rabbit trail, yeah. but this, as you can see, this is what I'm passionate about. I, they understood the fire of hell to be a picture of God who is a consuming fire, but because his nature is love, and you even have like um, any in Matthew 25, which is a lot of people who are quote unquote infernalists or hold to eternal conscious torment and how they understand hell. Yeah. Um, they that that word eternal torment comes from a couple words. So the word eternal comes from the Greek word aenos, mm. and that actually literally means for an age. So it's mm. like it's it's an indefinite period of time, but it's definitely not an everlasting, unending period of time. Mm. And then torment actually comes from this word. I think it's uh, basaniso or something like that. I don't speak the Greek. That language or whatever. I don't know Koine Greek very well. I just know yeah. a little bit here and there. Um, but that word refers to a touchstone. And so there's this purifying, curative, um, restorative sort of picture that's painted, this correction for an undefined period of time, but for a temporary period of time, this temporal correction in the fire, refining fire. I mean, we see that throughout scripture, the refining fire of God. So it's this it's not, in my view, and, and also in a lot of Patristic's view, it's not a, a literal place of burning and, 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 and this like fiery, like melting of your skin and torture, but like it is an actual experience of the presence of God. And for those yeah. who have not embraced love, it feels unpleasant. They haven't submitted to love. So what the very resistance that would keep them from freely choosing love is being purged and cleansed from their heart because a loving father does everything to restore every last one back home. So Derek. Yeah. <laughs> uh, wow. <laughs> oh my goodness. Um, well, I'm at a loss of words because I'm so at a loss of words because it's, just the thing, because back home, um, mm -hmm. a lot of the time, um, our theology is taught in that way. It's taught in a way you can't embrace God's love. It's very difficult. 
Um, right. It's very difficult to get to a, p- a place where you can actually fully submit to understanding that God is a God of mercy and God is a God right. of love. Because right. like Rachel said, it's it's so often it's just put through a lens of judgment. Like right. it's put through a lens of self-hate. Where boy, you get to a point whereby you can go into deep self-resentment, like deep self-condemnation. And that's something I've personally experienced that I just... Yes. I, I couldn't, like you're saying, I, I couldn't, I couldn't, I, I can't. How do I see, how do I, I can't relate to God in that way. Right. Um, I'm unable to see God in that way. I'm unable to find and understand that his love is a love of refinement. And refinement meaning that it's not to, 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 to literally beat you and batter you. Right. To punish you or harm you. It's, it's actually to. Like with my with my kids, if I were to ever discipline them, it's not in a means to to hurt them. It's actually to help them so that they don't make that same mistake that ends up harming them again. And um, that's totally within the realm of freedom, right? Like, yeah. I, I don't believe that like God is puppeteering all of us and you know sending things our way to teach us a lesson. Like a lot of that yeah. harmful theology that God is in control, and so you know, that hurricane that happened or is happening right now, it's God's judgment on America. Mm. No, it's, it's, that's no, (laughs) there's people that right now are even saying about the fires in California, which are record breaking from last year's record breaking fires. That's the judgment of God on California for not, you know, uh, believing him and, and supporting Trump too, as part of it too. But anyway, without going down that rabbit hole. (laughs) So all I was trying to say is I agree with you. I think the whole understanding of like the whole picture of fire, um, it's not meant to, it's that Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego thing that even when you walk through fire, I'll be with you. You won't be burned. Like I'm, I'm going to be with you in the fire. And, and that's something that's hard for us to understand that this, like, I don't believe heaven and hell to be these literal geographical locations, but more of an expression of, of how one experiences the undiluted, unrestrained love of God. And as we experience that, some of us need to have things purged out of us. But again, I do believe with many of the early church fathers like Origen and St. Gregory of Nyssa and many, many, many other church fathers as well, that that God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself, not counting anyone's sins against them. And mm-hmm. that it's our job to, to share a good, the good news, right? It's an announcement. It's something that's happened. It's not something that we magically make true about us and change God's mind. No. It's something that's been done Yeah, and we get to enjoy that. And I, I believe that even if it's <laughs> on the other side of the grave, that again, eventually one day we see this cosmic picture going back to first Corinthians 15, where, um, Jesus hands everything over to the father and God is now all in all. And it's this picture of, of everyone together. Right. Yeah. And so anyway, that's, I'm sorry for backing up the dump truck, but no, it's, okay. <laughs> <laughs> uh, it's a lot. It's so true. It's so relatable, but how did you guys get here? I think that's just, how did you guys accept deconstruction? How did, how did it happen for you? 
yeah, I'll let Rachel answer that first. Hey, I'm here. Hey, <laughs> um, baby's not going to sleep, so yeah, we're just going to roll with it. Um, so I think for, and the way that I've heard it explained that actually um, made a lot of sense is I don't think deconstruction is something that you choose. I think it's something that naturally happens and you mm. kind of find yourself in the midst of it, not even knowing that you are you in the midst of it. You don't even know what it, it is. Exactly. And it just deconstruction is just a term that can bring clarity, but a lot of people don't know that they're going through deconstruction Um, because it's just it's it's a it's a scary term. A lot of people don't want to say that they're deconstructing because for a lot that means deconstructing from their faith completely. Um, So that can bring a lot of fear. Um, So but with with what it is and what we know it to be, it's just an a natural occurring process to things that don't make sense to things that we want answers for to things that you know we want to understand the heart of god deeper on is for some it's a natural step into wanting to explore more of the mystery of god because yeah. um, i feel like that's a very big lost art in the like the flat reading of scripture yeah um we don't dive into the mystery we don't we think it's so black and white and when we reduce this mysterious all-knowing, all-loving um, God to the the word. He, he and in a lot of ways, revealed the word, yeah. you know, but at the same time, when we reduce him to that, it just, it loses the art of mystery. Um, so then we're left with these questions. Like, well, it's not in the word. It's not in the word. You know, these things that we just, it's like, we're afraid to like leave the lane, you know? Um, So I really do believe that it's not something that we choose a lot of the time. It's just something that happens. Um, So with finding ourselves in deconstruction, for me, it was, I didn't know what it was. You know, I, you know, just in the past year, find out what I went through was deconstruction and reconstruction. Mm I was, you know, walking very closely to... I have air quotes. You can't see walking very closely to what I thought was correct, you know, and then it, I just realized that I looked at what I believed and it like hit me that I didn't believe who God was, you know, the God that I was believing was not God. And so I found myself just like really just, I couldn't even think about Christianity. And I remember crying to Derek, like, I just want to go back to being an atheist. I don't want to be doing this anymore. I don't want to feel this depression. I don't want to feel this weight of disappointing someone of, you know, yeah. Guilt the whole time because you just feel like I'm not doing it the right. You just feel like you're perpetually disappointing someone. I get it. Exactly. Exactly. And you can't escape it because he's Mm. all known. He's in your thoughts. He's doing like, it's so invasive. Mm. Um, So I like going from like feeling depressed about it almost every day to then, you know, being in the midst of my degree and having a class where that's truly where I started reconstructing. So there you have it, guys. I'm sorry that ended a little bit abruptly, but um, we're going to move on to the next segment that basically talks about mental health um, and introducing mental health into the church and the importance of it all, really. 
Um, but the first segment basically was just talking about deconstruction. I know the term is broad, the term is new, the term is it may sound a little bit scary. It does, it really does. Like, it's like, what is that? Like Rachel said, it sounds like you're denouncing yourself from your faith, and that's not the case. It's really just reconciling, like we talked about, reconciling with a freeing love of God, with an idea of God that is not judgmental per se or one that's meant to an idea of god that's not that doesn't sound like you're supposed to appease him like derek mentioned reconciling with a god of love a god of mercy a god of generosity a god that wants to purge a god that wants to ease a god whereby we take it in truth and we take it in reality that you know his burden is light his yoke is easy um and we really reconcile with that understanding that the love of God is free. It's free. You know, you don't have to feel like you're perpetually disappointing. There's not a standard of perfection like I keep preaching and I keep saying in this podcast. But that's really it because I honestly went through things like this. I went through guilt. I went through self-condemnation for the longest time in my walk um, until I had to really get personal with God and get honest and get raw um and be be unashamed and strip myself off of the shame and just accept that god you i'm gonna let you work through me however you will it to be because if i exercise it in my own way if i exercise fixing myself if i try and walk righteously my my own will I kind of feel like I'm failing myself. Um, I'm failing God. You know, however you may feel, I understand. I get it. I've been through that and it and it's difficult. And that is what deconstruction is about. That is what, you know, addressing toxic theology is about. Things that you learned in church, you didn't really realize them. But these theologies, these practices, these church cultures made you feel like you had to set a bar or perform or be a certain way for God to love you and for God to reward you with his mercy for God to reward you with his love and God is not of that heart he's not of that mind he's a God that loves truly in forgiveness looks at virtue have you ever had someone love you and all they want to do is look at your virtue they just want to look at your goodness your kindness you know wherever you may be flawed and it's made perfect because of their love it's made whole wherever you may feel like you lack you know it is made pure it is made perfect um in your love and that's the type of love has that god has for us um and i truly hope that you embraced this um podcast and i truly hope you embrace you embrace the message i know some words are really rough i mean like penal substitutionary atonement and um seven atonement theories and scapegoat theories a lot of stuff that was very interesting that i learned um i hope you really go into it and really understand church history because when derek was explaining everything to me it honestly made so much sense that you know the church moved from a place in acts as he said um and as i also looked and i read up from a place where everybody had to benefit and then in the church became law and law became power and law became the control over man and it moved through all of these theories and all of these ideas of salvation and all of these theories obviously will be perceived in the church will be perceived in different church cultures as differently 
um and yeah that's that's basically what it's what it's all about and i hope you learned a load i really did from my and i really learned a lot and i'm gonna stop right now so that this doesn't become long love and light thank you so much for listening guys um and we move on to the next one